right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sex Sales Podcast, the podcast where we talk about culture, behavior, society, relationships from a male and a female perspective. Today, we're talking about fetishes, fetishes and how they may impact a relationship or with a, with a significant other, but also a relationship with a family, with a community. Uh, so we're going to delve into that. I'm sure that will be juicy, both uh, literally and figuratively. Um, we're going to start on that at the three-minute mark. Before we get to that, we've got a few announcements. Uh, Comedy Untamed, as I'm sure you know, these are the uh, series of stand-up shows that I help manage across the East Coast of Australia. That Brisbane show will definitely be on sale by the time this goes out. That will be a one-off opening night show. I'll be there on that one. That's July 6th, I believe. Um, All the details are on the website. So go to comedyuntamed.com. There's a big mega showcase happening at the end of the year, which will also be where I film my next stand-up special. We're flying in the best acts from, well, the best act from the Brisbane show, the best act from the Melbourne show, and then a wild card. And then you guys get to decide. So if you live in Sydney or the Sydney area, I I recommend you come to that. It's going to be huge. It's going to be changing the game of Australian comedy. So comedyuntamed.com. And of course, regular shows happening, Sydney, Melbourne, Newcastle, and soon to be Brisbane. So come see your show. I've got a uh, solo tour that I'll be announcing soon that will be happening in October, November this year. I'll be going to all the capital cities in Australia, plus a few other, uh, you know, minor cities, your Canberras, your Gold Coasts, your Newcastles, etc. So uh, neilcohatka.com for that. Um, stay tuned. That will be announced in the coming weeks. We're sponsored by Crush Organics. Crush have a giant range of CBD oils and CBD oil products. They've got pain cream. They've got just your regular CBD oil. They've got CBD oil for your pets. They've got the gummies. The gummies are great. Uh, I'll often have one or two before bed and I sleep like a baby. Maybe Eliza should get Remy on the CBD gummies. <laughs> just thinking that. Help him sleep. <laughs> so uh, get yourself some uh, CBD Oil products from Crush Organics. That's Crush with a K. Go to crushorganics.com. Use the code Neil and you get 40% off. It also helps support the podcast if you go and get some. So crushorganics.com. Use the code Neil, N-E-E-L, not N-E-I-L. Be surprised how many people still don't know how to spell my name. So N-E-E-L, the logical way to spell Neil. All right, fetishes. Let's get into it. Okay, so we've, we've broadly spoken about fetishes and sexual proclivities previously on this podcast, but what did you want to explore specifically about fetishes on this one? Well, this kind of stems off from the waifuism one um, because I came across the waifu Reddit, subreddit based on a post that was made in the relationship um, subreddit where it was actually someone saying my partner is obsessed with this fictional character and she is prioritizing that above my relationship. And then I kind of got thinking how does um, fetish or kink um, or different styles of love and intimacy affect your relationships with who you're in a re- romantically with or even like your family or the broader community. Um, and just like a very small niche example is I used to work with a client who was part of the furry community and she, um, the furry community isn't necessarily always sexual or kink or fetish type. And by the way, I should define that fetish is defined as an attraction to a non-living object or body part that isn't genitals. Um, And so she's part of the fairy community and she would say like, oh, it's not all sexual, but she did engage in the sexual side of it as many people do in those communities. And so when we would meet in public um, for coffee shops or client meetings and things like that. She would wear the furry tail, the ear. She wouldn't wear a full fursuit, but she would make little um, hints towards it. And I would, she'd always say, and we could observe that she'd be getting looks from the public and dirty looks. And she was really young, like 18. But I 
thought it was really interesting, like how when people are aware of it, is it inappropriate to then subject people or even in a more extreme level, people that are into pet play? Like you've, I've been seeing videos on TikTok of people pretending to be um, a dog or a cat for sexual reasons and they're being walked on a lead around public. So is that ethical and appropriate to subject the community to that? Or even children, um, when their parents are engaged in swinging, non-monogamy um, or other kinds of fetish that is around the house, for example, what's right and around what's wrong house. with that? Here's <laughs> yeah, my well, dumb outfit. Yeah, my or like sex see. swings and right. – rooms you never know it's every it's every yeah. it's hard to hide at times and especially when it's um i think for me the most interesting dynamic is like a dom sub dynamic um where there's one person is dominant and one person is submitted submissive and this kind of falls under the bdsm umbrella and how that that comes out often when people are really into bdsm that's not just something they do in the bedroom. It's something that they may live in their relationship. So I've seen, and even as someone that has studied sexology and relationship counseling, I do struggle with this a little bit. I can understand it in the bedroom, but then when there is, and it's usually a man as the master or, and it could be a master slave dynamic or a, or a man as a dom and then seeing him be demanding and belittling or, telling someone what to do as part of just their relationship dynamic and then putting it down to actually we're in a dom-sub relationship dynamic. I can understand it and I can appreciate it and I don't think that there's actually much that's wrong with that consent considering that, you know, you're both consenting, if so. But it is an interesting dynamic to see like, well, this kind of can rub people the wrong way to see that that might be considered sexist, it could be considered abusive um, to outside people. So, yeah, that's that was me rambling in a nutshell <laughs> what I wanted to get into, but there's a lot there. Yeah, you're right because yeah. it's a very important question that society right now needs to answer or at least try to answer. And my initial thoughts would be that it's all very contextual. It depends on the fetish. Mm. Depends how that's displayed. My general sentiment would be whatever you want to do in the privacy of your homes or in, yeah. you know, the clubs that you may visit, uh, as, assuming, of course, it's all consensual, go for it. Do whatever you want. If you're an adult and it's consensual, mm. you're correct in saying the the ethical conundrum arises when that might be displayed in a public setting or in a community setting. And that's something that I also am I'm uneasy about. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what the answer is. So that example that you just said there where there's a man who's the dom and a woman who's the sub. Now, if that was in the privacy of their, their own house or at a particular club, go for it. Do whatever you want. When you see that in public, that's... Uh, it's confronting and then we also mm. as a society are talking about how uh, young boys might uh, be subsumed into certain uh, toxically masculine cultures if they observe that and that could be what is occurring as a byproduct, as a consequence of some of that behaviour. At mm. the same time, I suppose if if they're both consenting adults and they're in a bar or something like that. We're not even talking about, say, an environment where children are around. You could easily argue what's the issue. Uh, similarly with the furry situation, I I don't know. I'm in two minds about that sort of thing as well. Um, there's nothing really inherently wrong with people walking yeah. around in the big furry costumes. When it does get sexual, you know, from their perspective, why are you shaming something that gives us a lot of, Pleasure and enjoyment um, from other people's perspective, it's just very different and it's mm. uh, conf it can be confronting and it's just maybe a bit weird as well to a lot of people. Um, mm. There does seem to be this emphasis on normalising anything and everything that could yeah. constitute a sexual proclivity and... Well, I have two thoughts on that. My first thought is when you when you normalize a lot of these sort of inappropriate, well, what many people would consider inappropriate kinks or sexual proclivities, that, that may actually 
make it less appealing for other people because humans by our nature are often drawn to things that we see as naughty and mm. mischievous and taboo. inappropriate and taboo. And so when you normalize all these kind of behaviors, then you're taking the taboo away from it and it may actually lose its excitement. Um, mm. I don't know if anyone's been in a situation like that, but I'd be interested to to hear about it if they have. And um, simultaneously, I uh, I read this book a few years ago, Your Brain on Sex. It's on one of my Instagram story highlights, and it's a really fascinating book about how many people's early impactful yeah. formative experiences can manifest as, uh, it, you know, what people could consider radical sexual proclivities or behaviors in their adult life. And so many of these uh, could be a symptom of, something that might need, you know, an unhealed childhood wound or something like that. Now, I know mm. it's a also a, a precarious conversation to have because people can get very defensive about that. People will say, oh, why do you always assume that, you know, what I enjoy doing has to be some sort of psychological deficiency? It may not be, <laughs> yeah, uh, but it yeah. also could be. And, you yeah. know, if it's not if it's not sort of drastically impacting your life in a negative way, and like I said, if everyone's consenting, go for it. I do lean towards just having a basic level of, um, you know, civil uh, decorum that's expected of people in a public context, especially if children are around. However, mm-hmm. what that that code of behavior is uh, is up in the air, and I don't have an exact answer. I do. I uh, personally wouldn't, I don't know, it's not the end of the world. I don't think it's, you know, sinful or, you know, extraordinarily shameful or anything like that. But I just think there are certain things that could, would just benefit from being left in the, in the privacy of uh, people's homes or in, or in clubs or, or bars Mm. or uh, Mm. specific areas where that community can express themselves. Yeah, I think that it's an interesting point when people talk about, and I've definitely fallen into this track as well, thinking about where did this come from when someone discloses um, a fetish or a kink that they have and in, immediately trying to draw it back to, was it a childhood thing? Where did this stem from? But it is a known thing and it is a studied research fact that our sexual preferences can often, not always, but often do um, become imprinted during our early childhood experiences. And I was actually talking about this today uh, where Adrian had his friends over and Remy, and I'm not saying that my eight-month-old baby has a fetish or kink or will, <laughs> but he's obsessed with feet, <laughs> like obsessed with feet at the moment. And he's obsessed with shoes. He's obsessed with trying to suck on toes. It's weird. He's literally obsessed with feet. And I was telling them that um, – one theory for foot fetish is actually one of the most common fetishes that exists. And I was saying mm-hmm. that one theory is that when kids, because they're at on their crawling stage, like Remy is now, when they're on the ground so often, the first thing they see when they see their primary caregiver come towards them is their feet. Um, and then that is coincides with feelings of love and comfort and nurture. Um, so that could be something that imprints on them later in life. And it's even been studied in animals that goats that were raised by sheep will actually have sexual preferences for sheeps once they reach their sexual development, which is really interesting. Even though it makes no sense evolutionarily or biologically, they are sexually inclined towards sheep if they were raised by that sheep. Is so super, super interesting. And another one I learned um, was that older siblings – are more likely to have a pregnancy fetish because they saw their mother being pregnant with their sibling. Oh my God. And it's no way do they find sexual arousal at that time or any kind of attraction to their mother. It's something that develops later on in life, just like it can be leather from car seats. Or And one interesting fact I learned, this is probably my favourite, was that back when we were growing up as kids and teenagers in any kind of like – 
action movies, quicksand was like a really big thing in movies. And it developed into a fetish for a lot of people. However, it is no longer a common fetish because it's no longer in movies. Um, So when people would see that around the age or something of their sexual development and be something that was really exciting to them, like, oh, quicksand, it's not something that's turning them on. It's something that develops later on. So it is... um, really interesting. And BDSM, there's a lot of talk about whether that developed from trauma or if that's just someone wanting to give up control. I read this book. um, It's one of my favorite books. It's called In the Garden of Desire. And it's, oh God, it's so old, this book. Um, I I read some of that one. Yeah. And it talks about like women's top five um, erotic fantasies. And a lot of it was about being submissive. And most of the women that wanted to be submissive were like the CEOs or people that were really like um, tightly wound and couldn't relax and round the household. They just dreamt of being swept off their feet by someone who would take control as well as vampire werewolves. That was a whole other category and things like that. Um, It's probably fair to assume that there'll then be more instances of that as more women are moving into positions of power and what would be considered more traditionally masculine roles, there will likely be an abundance of this sort of uh, yearning for, um, you know, masculine sexual dominance. Yeah, that's so true. Very true. Um, That's a good point, actually. I wonder if it will become more popularised. And I know that a lot of people talk a lot more openly about what kinks and fetish they have and are quite upfront about it. God, I've had so many people when I was on my Tinder days tell me what, their kinks were, and some of them were just so out there. I actually had people tell me about pregnancy kink a few times um, in my early 20s, which at that point I was like, wow, this is fascinating, absolutely fascinating to me. Um, But I guess to to link it back to relationships, I did see a um, someone post online the other day saying that she's in a BDSM relationship with her partner and they have a safe word. Um, he's the dom, she's the sub, and he was, I won't go into the details, but basically she was saying no and she was saying the safe word and he didn't stop. And the agreement is that there is a safe word and she was saying afterwards, like, that's our safe word, that immediately means stop. We agreed on that, this is my consent, etc. And he said, well, I'm the dom, I get to do what I want, I get to disregard it. So I think that even though it's just sexual fun there is so much that needs to be talked about and communicated prior and I guess this is what I was trying to this is what I was thinking about when I was thinking about um the impact that it has on relationships is that in some kinks and fetishes like BDSM you almost do have to be an expert you need to know about consent you need to know about safe words you need to know about aftercare and all these things that people are just like oh I just want to hurt someone or be hurt and think it's as simple as that um and then the other thing I see pop up more and more frequently is um what do you do when your partner is into something very unique that you're not willing to engage in and further from that there's a there is a subreddit called ask reddit after dark i live on this it's so good and one of them is one of the questions was like what fetish do you have that your partner doesn't know about and there were like thousands and thousands of people saying that they have had this fetish for 18 years like cuckolding fetish or even things that are more unique and their partner has no idea and so then it comes into well do you be very upfront about it and tell them from the get-go. But when you start dating, do you introduce it when you're already in love? And how do you have these conversations? And a lot of people were embarrassed by them. Obviously, there's some that um, know, like, if I ever said this, they would say no. And I actually saw another girl say that her um, partner recently said he's always really wanted to be like experiment with open relationships and swinging and they'd been together for four years and he'd never mentioned it and he was the love of her life or is the love of her life and then as soon as he said it she's like I can't be with him like now that I know that that's what he wants and what he desires mm. I just don't want to be with him anymore so there's that risk uh which is why I think it's it's almost better to be 
upfront about it, but then it's hard when it's something that might be considered a bit more on the not your average side. Yeah, I would probably, if you're in that situation, talk to friends first oh, and see what they what think. If you have a foot fetish and you tell your friends that, you th- can oh, you true. trust them to truly be uh, that's a good point. neutral? Yeah. Well, I just you know. before you talk to your partner, maybe just, if you can get some sort of external opinion about how, you know, out of the bounds of normality your uh, yeah. fetish may be. A therapist or someone, in, in, yeah, I read it even at just an online forum. Yeah. Uh, before you talk to your partner about it. And then I think yeah. there's a responsibility on the partner to uh, listen with s- some degree of an open mind. Uh, I guess if, if there is a situation like what you just mentioned where someone just, it, 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 it causes that person to just not see that person the same way. It's very hard to come back from that sometimes. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, there's there was a situation in one of my earlier relationships where, yeah, a similar sort of thing happened, and then I got very defensive and sort of insecure about it because she had expressed yeah. a similar sort of fetish, and yeah. then I expressed one that you know was just almost the inverse of that, if you will. Yeah. I don't know. I, yep. I know I, people probably want to know the details. I don't feel comfortable talking about the details of it. But okay. um, yeah. then she got quite upset and said she doesn't know if she can be with someone like that. Oh. And I got angry. <laughs> I, I was like, well, you said this thing that's yeah. basically the same thing. And then I'm saying, and I, you know, was su- supportive of that. Uh, it, it, you can be supportive with it while still having a boundary and saying, oh, I don't want to do yeah. it, but yeah. I, you know, that's cool. If that's what you're into, I can't fulfill that. Unfortunately, if it's a deal breaker for the relationship, um, yeah. maybe you do need to be with someone else. Uh, but yeah. I think people might have to, yeah, just be conscious of their reactions in that situation because yeah, the partner could be holding on to something that means a lot to them and and want someone to just support them, not necessarily validate whatever that proclivity or yearning may be, but just to not react as though they're a strange or, you know, morally deficient person. I mean, depending on the fetish, if someone comes out and says, I want to sleep with a kid or something, well, then, yeah, you can react that way. But talking about things that aren't illegal here. Yeah. it's very contextual, isn't it? It's uh, yeah, I mean, all dependent on the relationship, on the fetish, yeah. how they want to do it, whether they want to do it all the time or once. So many questions. Yeah, I think that's good advice that you started with. Like find, maybe not necessarily your, your friends, but find a sounding board and forums online. There is a subreddit for literally everything. I found a subreddit for people that want to recreate um, like I don't know what the actual fetish is called. I can't remember, but recreating the birthing experience and they create giant one by one meter tall vaginas and out of like, they just (laughs) out of everything, they find materials, they source things and then they recreate being birthed. They have the liquids, they have the blood. It's just so fascinating. There's a, there's a subreddit for people that have, um, sneezing fetishes and they're like oh does a bigger nose mean more sneeze and all these like unique questions it's just like anything you're into you can find your people in the same way that we talked about waifuism the other day that's it's such a supportive community um and i i go through like these crazy rabbit holes just because of morbid curiosity uh more than well yeah that's literally the only reason i'm always curious i'm always trying to learn about i'm always trying to understand it um but it is really hard when you're trying to introduce that to someone and you're not sure if they're going to have an open mind about it. Um, and I had an experience of, I've had a lot of experience of people being upfront with me about it, um, about fetish or whatever. And I like that it's upfront because I'm like, okay, I can tell straight off the bat if this is going to be something that we're compatible with or, or not, um, or if this is going to be something that I have to put a boundary in or I'm just not, I'm not down for or whatever. And like I was talking to this one guy once years ago and he had, um, 
he was really into like a cuckolding fetish. And I wasn't even, I was just like, cool, like whatever, that's fine. I've talked to you for like a week. That's no opinion on it, whether I was for or against it. Nothing, didn't worry me in the slightest. But it dominated our entire conversation where every time he'd be like, what are you doing? And I'd be like, I'm going out tonight. He'd be like, are you going to sleep with another guy? Are you going to be doing this? I bet you're going to the bar do this. And I was like, oh, again, <laughs> like every single conversation, what are so, you doing? I'm on my way to work. Was he, was he work wanting with? to engage in a kind of psychological fantasy of he didn't necessarily want you to sleep with someone that night, but the idea of you doing that was oh he did want me to sleep with someone that night and and then he was like i'll take you to bali and like we'll go out to bars and i was like i haven't even met you (laughs) there's a lot of there's a lot of men who are into cuckolding do you know of any women who are into cuckolding um not person i know of women but not i don't know personally within my groups but i do see like it does exist a girlfriend Um, or wife was like who are you gonna sleep with tonight i want to watch yeah (laughs) yeah yeah i do see i come across it a little bit here and there it's not as common because i think that anything that falls under the realm of that could be linked to like humiliation um comes much more commonly with men um which is interesting but um yeah, there's definitely women that engage in it. And if you like, you know, you might be getting the best of both worlds there or sometimes people do cuckolding both ways. So it's um, super, super interesting. But, yeah, I think that in the – I think I talked about this years ago, but when I was like pretty active in the vegan social community where people would catch up and meet up, every single person – even as friends or if they were interested in sleeping with each other, but even just as friends would share their like BDSM test quiz results. So if you just Google BDSM test, there's a test you can do and it has like all these variations of are you a dom, are you a sub, are you a brat, are you vanilla, are you into like are you a masochist, are you into age play, pet play, every single kink basically. And people would just share this and then be like, oh, you're 75% this, so am I. Or like we're, we're the opposite or we match really well. So it was wow. really funny how that was, I don't know why that just was linked into the <laughs> veganism, very, but everyone was so open and shared them constantly. Um, very sort of, and I like that people were just upfront about it. I thought cut so much time. <laughs> very rational way of uh, deciding who <laughs> should sleep with who, isn't it? Doing a quiz. And, oh, all right, you'll do. Statistically, this makes the most sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's a lot of lack of um, judgment um, except to meat eaters. There was a lot of judgment to that. <laughs> but to anyone else, <laughs> there was no judgment. Anything you could say or do would go, um, which was funny. So maybe in some ways it is better to be forward and upfront about it, especially if it's – I think it's really important to – acknowledge or understand how much of this are you going to want in your relationship? Like, is this a necessity for you or is it a secret thing that you want to keep to yourself? Um, and can you reach sexual satisfaction and happiness without engaging in that? If so, if you can't, then you need to tell your partner, like I need engagement with this. And if you can't, or you're not willing, that's totally fair, but it's an incompatibility. So I think that that's, an important thing to distinguish. I think people also tend to forget there's nothing inherently wrong with keeping something to yourself. You don't yeah. necessarily have to share every single yeah. thought or proclivity yeah. you may have. Uh, I know there's probably a lot of men who want to have a five sim or something like that, but yeah. you, know, you can't expect a partner to engage in something like that, especially when you have other goals for your relationship, such as yeah. bonding or building a family or you know, building a life together. Uh, there yeah. are there are certain things that should maybe just stay in the realm of fantasy because yeah. your imagination is probably more powerful than real life, and yeah. our psychological arousal can be very powerful. That's another good reason to wean yourself off porn because then it just increases the power of your imagination. And yeah, forget about the privacy of your own home. You've got the privacy of your own mind. That's your little sanctuary where you can do whatever you want to do essentially and still feel relative. If you're really immersed in that fantasy, you can 
you can almost feel like you're really there. You can have those same sensations and almost trick your brain into thinking that you actually were there. It's like very deep meditation and sort of mm. story through that meditation. You can have a similar experience with a uh, sexual fantasy. Yeah. So I don't think uh, everything has to be out yeah. in the open publicly and normalized. And I think it's good to talk about these things and explore them, but in certain contexts, uh, I do think it's inappropriate, especially when kids are around or if it's just a general community setting, I think uh, there can be some, doesn't necessar necessarily have to be legislated over where there are laws, but, you know, if there's a community where, uh, say there's one person in the community of 100 or, you know, maybe a handful, like three or four that do engage in sexual behaviours that, many others would have it would take umbrage towards and they're displaying that in a public setting and a few other members of the community say hey that's not appropriate we don't really want to see that and then they can often take it upon themselves to get defensive and say well why are you shaming our behaviors but at the same yeah. time at the, on the other end of the you know they're not necessarily respecting the consent consent of these other community members because as a community they may not consent to wanting to see that in the same way yeah. in a one-on-one -on -one yeah. setting, someone may not consent to wanting to engage in a, you know, a, a significant dom-sub relationship or a furry relationship, whatever it may be. There's also, a, I suppose, a community-based consent where people may say, look, we do, do it in the privacy of your own home and you you should have every right to do that in the privacy of your own home or in an organisation of some sort where everyone knows what they're getting into. But when it's broadcast on maybe mainstream television or just sort of unregulated on the internet, then there are other members of the community or the, the nation even who, who may be saying, look, we don't... It, I would argue it actually does come down to a form of consent. Like we don't... I don't want to see this, I don't want to get, have to engage with it. Uh, I don't want to impose any restrictions on these people to be able to do that in the privacy of their own homes, but I, I should not have to, you know, validate and necessarily normalise every yeah. single sexual proclivity yeah. out there. Yeah, it's such a good point. When um, when I was, like, 19, I worked at um, Westfield Ringer Mall as, like, concierge, and I had this mum come up to me. We had, like, these huge like 20 meter by 10 meter um advertising for like lingerie that was hanging from the ceiling and this mom came up and she was embarrassing her poor teenage boy it was so I felt so bad for him <laughs> but basically she was saying like we don't want to see this we don't consent to seeing women naked essentially like they were wearing lingerie they weren't naked but she was like we don't consent to this so why are you forcing in our face and making my teenage boy uncomfortable he's going through puberty and I was like oh this poor kid but it is an interesting point and even keeping it in your home I've seen people talk about will my roommates engage in like this fetish or in BDSM and then I have to hear her being beat or slapped or him even um and I don't want to be around that or subjected to that and when think about like more obscure fetish for people that are into like balloons or velcro or scratchy services or certain things or god how many times have i seen someone fucking jacking off in public um creepy men looking at women just it is um yeah it becomes almost assault it's not even about consent it's if someone has not consented it is an assault. And I remember when I worked um, at Lifeline, a suicide phone hotline, we would get callers in. I can't remember the name. It's not okay, but it's a fetish where they have, they get off making inappropriate phone calls. And I would get callers in who would be getting off on the phone, but legally Jeez I wasn't allowed to hang Christ. up on them because it's a suicide hotline. So I've, I remember I've one heard guy that from a few people who've worked at Lifeline. It's quite yeah, common. and it happens to people that work at Domino's, but they can hang up. But that's oh. what they call hotlines because they're not allowed to hang up. So I was talking through one guy, and he asked me to do a guided meditation. 
that's and, right. Yeah, you, yeah. Oh, and we, I was going to do this whole thing, and I could just hear it happening. And then I was saying, "Hi, look, this is getting inappropriate. I, I'm starting to understand what's going on here. I'm going to hang up. This is your first warning. Um, I'll, I'll be hanging up." And he was like, "No, no, don't stop." And then I was like, "No, I'm sorry, I'm leaving the phone." And he was like, "No, keep talking." And I was like, "I'm leaving that." And then I heard it, heard him complete. Um, and I just. For fuck's sake. Um, I did do a university assignment on that, so some good came out of it. But, yeah, it's it, – I didn't realise it for a few years, but that, like, it didn't have an impact on me. I rolled my eyes and laughed about it that night. But that is an assault. Um, and it's scary what people can be into um, and are getting off to in the public. So And even public sex for example, is huge and people are so into it. And how many times do people like, oh, I saw these people doing this in the bush or whatever. And it's kind of funny, but it's also like it's also not. <laughs> um, and how can people engage in those things and keep it private? And I definitely agree with what you said as well about certain things. You don't have to disclose every fetish to all your partners or every kink um, and certain things that if you want to keep private, it's completely fine to keep Ravi, I don't believe that your partner has to know every single thing about you. And I did see the yeah, other day someone say, saying like what's um, what was the most recent not safe for work thought you had? And there were so many comments. Oh, who did you last fantasize about or something like that? So many people were saying my wife's sister, my wife's best friend, my co-worker, even though I'm married. And I was like, for fuck's sake, I would never, ever – want to know that about my husband or my boyfriend. Like I'm not going to deny that, that those thoughts would happen, but I would never want to know it. No one, I would never have it acknowledged to me. Like keep that shit to yourself. Imagine knowing your, your husband to your sister. Like God, after reading that subreddit, I was so glad afterwards I don't have a sister because there was like thousands of people saying, and I couldn't believe like, does everyone's wife, sister, are they all just really attractive or is it just the fact that it's the sister? I don't know. It was um, Yeah, it's probably the likeness <laughs> and, and the fact that it's inappropriate and Yeah, taboo. it's so interesting. But I was like, that is, that that's things you should take to the grave. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't think there's any – I don't understand people who need to always evangelize about every yeah. fantasy and proclivity they've had. There's – things I definitely wouldn't talk about on a public forum and I've talked about all sorts of things on this podcast and, and the yeah. other one and there's just a, a wealth of information I will never uh, let leave my mind but <laughs> at the same time, <laughs> you know, I don't think there's um, – yeah. uh, there may be this uh, – this may be a consequence of people – Using their sexual preferences and proclivities or fetishes uh, as a major facet of their identity when it need not be as yes. significant as you have made it. So that everyone should be entitled to their preferences and whatever they want to do in the privacy of their home. But if you make that the entirety or the bulk of your identity or personality, then of course, you'd want people to validate that because that's you. That's how you see yourself. And when, say, it's a part of who you are, hey, look, in the privacy of my own home, I like to do this. I like to do X, Y, Z. But I don't need to tell everyone. I don't expect everyone to validate that and, and call it normal. Uh, then that's a healthier way, seemingly, to go about this. However, there's probably some kind of uh, could be trauma, just experiences that people have had that cause these uh, preferences or proclivities to be such a major part of their identity, mm. and or to feel the urge to overshare. Can yeah, also be trauma response. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. Exactly, and it's God. Does it happen? It's like, and it's an it interest, an interesting point you make that people do. It is very accepted now to talk about which I love personally I love that but does it get taken too far when you're sitting and someone just says oh by the way I'm getting off to this very frequently whereas someone who doesn't have a fetish or a kink 
is unlikely to say, hey, oh, I'm getting off to lesbian porn tonight or whatever, um, where they, if they're not engaged in the fetish kink, they're less likely to share their sexual proclivities and interests. So that is an interesting aspect. Um, but I guess if you're in a situation where you feel like where you're with a partner or your partner has a kink or fetish that you're not that into or you're not that comfortable with, I think it's really important to actually have that conversation and be like, what am I willing to engage in? So for example, heaps of people talk about how they their partners might have a cuckolding fetish and they themselves don't want to sleep with anyone else, but there's many ways that they can um, push those boundaries without actually doing it, whether it be with toys, with role play, with chat roulette, <laughs> like so <laughs> many different ways. Oh, good old um, chat roulette. Yeah, gosh, which is basically just turned Yuck. into like... The amount of dicks that... Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You know how we talked about one day we would do like a live stream and have special guests on it? One day we should just do a live stream on Chat Roulette and (laughs) just get the weirdest. We couldn't put it on YouTube. We'd have to make a Patreon or something and (laughs) put it on there. But the amount of sex crimes I was part of probably because I was always you know, when you were under eighteen, you look on there and there's just a bunch of people jacking off. Yeah. Yeah. I was like I was on there all the time when I was like (laughs) ten. Yeah, same. Yeah, yeah. It's just uh, I saw someone. I saw a woman put her entire wine bottle up, up there. Um, yeah, which was okay. fascinating. Uh, oh. Me and my friends applauded her afterwards. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> but yeah, I've seen some shit on there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so. And you know what's the most disturbing about it is like it's much more common with younger people than it is with any other age so all those people getting off knowing that they're more likely to either come across yeah. someone else that's getting off that's an also a 50 year old man or a child <laughs> so <sighs> yeah it's yeah that one's a bit that's a bit it's of tricky i think much. on that's... one of them though maybe omegle you can like go on like a um strictly no no dicks, dicks. Basically, I don't you, know. That should that, probably be say. the norm, but yeah, <laughs> you got to you got to click. Oh, I don't want to see any dicks today. Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Me and my friends did Jesus that um, like a year ago. I had a sleepover with like six girls. We went on on one of whichever one had that option, and there was still a couple that snuck in. Um, but most of it was just fun. Although, <sighs> yeah, it was still weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it brings out. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's um, just be safe if you listen it's, to this. It's hard to explore. It's funny, yeah. I guess it's funny. I don't, you know, because it's a digital, and, and you sort of know yeah. what you're getting into. It's almost you could argue. Well, look, if you're going to go on chat roulette, you you have to expect to see that. So yeah, yeah, uh, be prepared. But yeah, uh, when we talk about say how this is continually broadening the definition of what is considered say an alternative sexuality, so. You know, when we talk about the LGBT community, uh, people who have different sexual preferences, but that, are, that, that that is a major facet of who they are, who they're attracted to. And now I suppose pride as a concept is being uh, associated with things like cuckoldry or, you know, that will often be associated with the LGBTQ plus pride movement. And to me, they're, they're just such different things because mm. one, it's like a it is a, a very significant facet of your identity, what your sexual preference may be. Uh, I still would argue it doesn't need to be the main facet of, of said identity, but, you know, cuckoldry is a preference, a, a sort of a proclivity that you may engage in in the privacy of your own home. And is it actually harming the cause of the uh, LGBT, I, I guess the bulk of that LGBT community, which when you know, all these different communities are constantly being added to it and there's not really any kind of bureaucracy determining what is considered part of the LGBT plus community. Mm. It just seems as though any community that perceives itself as sort of outside of the norm, outside of the mainstream can attach itself to that. And talking about what we were talking about earlier for a lot of people who, you know, it might have been a big step for them to accept yeah. Gay people, uh, lesbian people, gay marriage, things like that. And 
you know, that's not necessarily to say that their uh, opinion should always be validated either. But then when all these new things are constantly being added on, it just, Mm. it can be overkill for a lot of people. And then the uh, the core demographic of where that LGBT community came from actually suffer because when you see all these other flags in different communities that are part of, you know, pride, you think, well, hang on, like what are, I don't even know what half of them are at this point. Mm. Um, and it can mm. sort of adversely impact just gay, lesbian, bisexual people. Yeah, yeah, it has become... I get, I'm in two minds about it. I don't want to say it's become overcomplicated because a lot of people like this, it is the most important thing of their life to say I'm a demisexual, um, bisexual or pangender. Like, you know, Mm. they can have a million titles for themselves. Um, And I don't want to invalidate that by saying it's overkill or it's, or it's too much. And really quickly, I would even say, yeah, yeah, because that's a sort of gender identity, which I'd still separate from a sexual yeah a fetish yeah which is my gonna be my next point is that under the lgbtiqa umbrella it's more about attraction to another person or lack of attraction for example asexual um whereas fetish and um kink is about attraction to a body part or non-living object so there is that differentiation but however that issue still is prevalent. I remember there was talk recently about there were literally people advocating to include pedophilia into the LGBTI community understanding because it was an attraction to a specific group of people. Um, and then people were even going on branching off that about bestiality. But and pedophilia and, and bestiality are paraphilias, which is basically means a highly inappropriate um sexual proclivity which will hinder you or hinder the safety of others um and it's not yeah, <laughs> not this, recommended and this hurts the cause of gay yeah. rights and gay acceptance yeah. when you add all these other communities yeah. to it and even though that was widely rejected and it didn't end up coming around there may still be people that are have pedophilic tendencies or bestiality tendencies and can and will go around consider saying or believing they're part of the LGBTI community because it's I'm a community of people that aren't attracted to heterosexual six uh, relationships. So there does become an issue with that and and I you know in some ways to play devil's advocate. Obviously, I'm in no support of pedophilia, um, but there is not a community where people can talk and seek support for that. It is a highly um, secretive, confidential, even often most people that have pedophilic tendencies or thoughts don't engage or speak to a therapist. Um, So there is such limited support, and I do feel that more support is needed to those communities because for some people, for many, probably even most, that is uh, an attraction that they don't want to have um, and they may hate themselves from having and they've never acted on it whatsoever. So when there's no community to talk about that with um, and no one to acknowledge it or confess to without being absolutely shamed, then what further repercussions of that could there be? However, then the other issue is that when a, a, a community can be developed for that, you get child porn rings where people are just sending pornography to one another and it's not really the community you should be yeah. engaging with. Um, AI and, it, and now AI is being used to distribute a lot of that. Yeah, deep fakes, like you can't, AI can't really differentiate if they're putting a child's face on. I don't, it's just um, so, so sad. And I actually saw someone um, saying that when he was in, I can't remember what country it was. I know it was like near Argentina, but he was traveling somewhere very small and rural. And he said he went through um, a DVD shop and there was just, categories and videos of child porn everywhere and it was just like so normalized in that um in that country and well at least in that video shop yeah he said there was videos of bestiality there was videos of everything and he said he looked on the back of the child porn thinking this surely isn't literal and it literally had like horrific 
scarring, traumatizing images. Um, and yeah, so it's it yeah. is hard, and that's you know, I mean, we're lucky to be in in this country where it is so taboo, so illegal. There's so many things in place. Obviously, it still happens, but in other countries, it's like I need to feed my family tonight, so I will sell my child or make a video online for a Westerner man who's going to pay me five dollars um I it's I, just I, I don't care how poor you are I don't I could never excuse yeah that. of course of course but it, that's just what happens it's so um and there's so little support for it oh god it makes me so sad when you like look into it it's like sick but anyway this is getting, this is getting, a, getting into dark, a whole yeah. other I, kettle of fish I I do agree with you about people who have pedo pedophilia centered thoughts that don't act on it i don't think then they should necessarily be judged as immoral that is a psychological uh deficiency or or just Mm. illness that they may have and it should be treated as such the second they act on it criminal uh having said that the aims for at least from you know from a straight man the aims of the lgbt plus community seem to be very different to that which Mm. is you know one is being treated as a as a pathology Whereas one is the whole point is to say, no, this is not a pathology. This is normal. And you take something like, you know, expressing LGBT characters in um, popular art or in, you know, stories to children, right? If, if I'm sure most parents nowadays wouldn't really care if there's say, uh, actually it depends because now there's all sorts of things happening in America. But, you know, if, you, if your kids are reading a book or something and then, you know, the husband said to the other husband or whatever, and it's just in there and there's not really any... Mm. big fuss yeah. about it having said that when if if you take this normalizing of everything to its uh and seemingly its end goal then in that same book and then the husband you know went home and and engaged in his normal behavior of cuckoldry well no like i i, I don't have kids but if i was a parent i wouldn't want kids being exposed to something like that mm. but i would have no problems whatsoever for with a child being exposed to the two dads, Greg and Greg, or, or yeah. whatever yeah. it may be, yeah, and yep. that's where I, I, I just kind of feel it's hurting the uh, LGBT community yeah. or these sort of other communities constantly being attached to that, and yes. maybe they need yeah. a separate movement or something because the aims seem yeah. very different. Yeah, exactly, and that issue is coming up a lot as well when it, we were doing the the vote for. Um, gay marriage to be legal in Australia and so many more people saying, well, if we say yes to that, then we have to say yes to monogamy and we have to say yes to polygamy and, I'm sorry, not monogamy, (laughs) polygamy, uh, multiple marriages and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, that actually isn't part of the LGBTI community. This is one battle of two people wanting to get married and we're saying no because of potential doors that may open and it's just that that psychological reasoning and people automatically linking LGBTI community with still thinking about it subconsciously as something that is obscure or outside of the norm and things like that. Like it's really not out of the norm. I remember it must be, I don't know what the current stat is, but like 10 years ago it was like one in 10 people. It must be more than that now <laughs> that are engaged, that are part of the LGBTI community. I must well, look that up. Quickly, yeah, I, I think it's now one in five or something like that yeah. in, in America. But, you know, that that's also because it's being broadened uh, to to mm. say with the what you were talking about with, now we don't, I don't know how many, I would guess the majority of the, uh, you know, LGBT community wouldn't want pedophiles and yeah. people who are into yeah. bestiality as part of that broad group. But if people are seeing that online and there are a select minority of people advocating for that, it validates the concerns of the conservatives when that gay marriage vote was going through because then they can say, they can say oh, see, look, now they're trying to, normalized bestiality and um pedophilia so mm. the 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 deeper psychological issue seems to be that a lot of these what would have historically been left-wing and liberal uh culturally liberal communities uh you know they're not rules-based they're all about sort of being open and free and mm. 
mm. behaviorally liberal. And when there are no rules and no guidelines, it does keep the door slightly ajar for other communities to come in and say, oh, this is a place of acceptance. Hey, we're into um, fucking animals. <laughs> Will you accept us? And then it's yeah. hard for a community that's known for accepting alternative sexualities to draw a line and say, no, you you mm. th- you are getting shamed for wanting to fuck a tiger and you probably should be shamed. Or you should, yeah. you know, maybe not shame but go to a therapist and sort that out or keep it in your fantasy world. Um, and that from an, again, all of this from an outsider's perspective, it does seem to be something that the LGBT community is grappling with. There's these people I follow on social media who actually their whole ethos is drawing a line after the the T or some will even say after the B, we need to be our own thing, lesbian, gay and bisexual. And uh, it's it's interesting and and it's also a bit sad because a lot of people are being hurt by this. Mm, yeah. Yeah, it is. It is a tricky thing and it's like it's interesting that there are, that group had to and that community had to fight so hard to have a community that was accepted and then it's consistently growing, which is it's a good thing and could be a harmful thing at the same time. Um, and then that's why I think in some ways people always complain about there's a million flags, there's a million different communities now, but I think it's good that there actually are and that it's not all falling under one umbrella and that people are reaching out and creating their own separate communities for something that's a little bit more specific to that one thing. Um so, yeah, I guess, like we said, you and I aren't the experts on this um, to talk about it, but it does, there is a crossover and there's a crossover of people thinking that fetish and kink fall under this. And it's like just because LGBTI people also engage in fetish and kink doesn't mean that that umbrella of the community is to be ex- ex- accepting people just based on fetish and kink. It is purely for an attraction to this group or all groups of people. It's about like love and acceptance in that sense or in the sense that if you're asexual, the opposite. Um, But having that community of we've faced so many adversities and we've fought so hard for our rights. And then I guess, like you said, then it comes down to more people and more groups and other p- communities saying we want to fight for our rights too. We want to fight for our rights as something that may be less common, but I'm not seeing too much of it. Like I wouldn't say it's definitely not dominating no, at the true. moment, but yeah, then again, someone might say different. It's probably just it doesn't need to necessarily be attached to that community. That's all. Yeah. I think why not just yeah. have your own kind of Exactly. Whatever yeah. you want. Because, again, the aims seem to be different. One is sort of just yeah. a, a, saying that this is, an, you know, a sexual preference and it's not an abnormality necessarily, whereas a fetish, yeah. uh, it's, you know, if you see two guys holding hands in public, it's, oh, you know, it's not a big deal. Whereas if yeah. you're seeing furries kind of walking around, it's it's also not as a big bigger deal. But then if you see furries engaging in sexual behavior in public well that's mm. very different i mean mm. you know there are other societal concerns at play and they're not really the only thing they really have in common is that okay they're not the norm but yeah yeah again yeah. like yep I, i'm not uh, I'm, it's not my community so moving on yeah. i guess from <laughs> the lgbti aspect but still staying on like the theme of communities and groups one thing I will say, because I'm such an advocate for join your community, find the group, is that it's really hard to monitor the safety that people might find these groups or even listeners to this might be teenagers and then being like, oh, there's a group for everything. I'll go find my community. Um, and that girl I talked about at the start that was into, um, she participated in the fairy community. I worked with her for four years. So she was 14 and in the furry community when she started. And no one in that community knew that she was a child in high school, in year nine because she had the full fursuit. First of all, she didn't even look young, but secondly, she had the full fursuit. So she had um, the mask, I don't know what that's called, the headpiece, um, and she had the whole bodysuit, everything custom made, and she'd go to communities. And sometimes um, 
they will talk verbally all the time. It's waving and hugging and not using her voice. But anyway, she ended up having a boyfriend who was in his late 30s and he had no idea how old she was Um, and she refused to give me his name because she was familiar with the system and knew I would have to legally, I'd have to report it. Um, But it was so controversial on both sides. And then she was talking about how, oh, this weekend I'm going to this convention. It's, you know, a bunch of fairies meeting in Sydney. I'm bringing a friend. And I was like, is your friend also a child? Yes, it is. So then there's multiple children going and they're under the, they have a literal disguise on. Um, So that becomes a whole other kettle of fish on, or even think about things like glory holes. (laughs) Um, you don't know who's engage, you're engaging with there. Uh, it's there, there's so much risk, and you do you're protected under, I guess, the law if you don't literally don't know and you can prove you never knew their age. But what are the morals of that, and what are the safety and and what are the catch that person, concerns then? for the children? I know. Uh, um, I worked with a client once, and she. She she had a lot of trauma and a lot of problems, but she would do anything to get, for example, hair extensions. So she'd find a random man online, say, here's my address, come pick me up. You have me for 10 minutes, we'll do whatever, but you have to buy my hair extensions or buy me shoes. And she had, oh. she gave no shits about it. She This girl has, she had so much trauma. It was really sad, but... I was like, Do the, are these men aware? She was 15. I said, are these men aware that you're a child? No, no idea. Um, they just thought she was a sex worker um, or just not even just a sex worker. Well, just doing sex work, being like, oh, I randomly got a message from a girl saying, I'll do this if you do this, thinking it was a once-off thing. And she did it every single night. Um, get my nails done. I'm hungry. Um, it was really sad. And she she had a sad sad life but there's so much there that when when you're reaching out to find people to engage with you do have to be conscious and you do have to be aware just like on tinder there is there's you always see people that are like 17 being like well i'm almost 18 (laughs) i mean i never saw that obviously i wouldn't put my age down to 18 (laughs) to see that occurring to other people all the time um especially girls do that more frequently being like i'm almost an adult um yeah, and then they'll get so, into clubs. They could be 15, yeah. 16 with a fake ID yeah. at a club. They could easily look 23, 24. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, that's entra- it's entrapment. But then it's also yeah. an act of pedophilia. But if he didn't know and he reasonably thought she was over 18, then you can't really prosecute that. Um, it's a yeah. pretty tough situation. But, hey, how about we finish on a less depressing note Uh well, that's pretty hard after <laughs> kind of how we just suddenly take a U-turn and um, talk about <laughs> foot fetishes are funny. That's one where, you know, it's actually pretty, no- like you say, it's quite normal and uh, it's sort of funny. Uh, if a partner said, hey, I'm into feet, it's, I don't think it's that, it's that big a deal. I don't I'm think sure. it's bad. If there's any fetish to have, that. I feel like that is the most simple one to please. If yeah. your partner said, I'm into this, Happy days. Don't have to do anything. Like You know what is surprisingly you know? a common one? Oh, okay, look, this is anecdotal, but, like, you know, a handful of, uh, when I say a handful, maybe two or three uh, casual partners were into u- urination, like you being urinated oh, yeah, on. yeah, yeah. Golden showers are so popular. Yeah, I don't want to do it. I feel like. You know what, though? I feel like that was a very popular thing that's dying out. I don't see it as much anymore as I used to. Um, so is it funny did how you see it things a lot, change? Did you? <laughs> <The fine laughs> you wouldn't believe how many times <laughs> someone has approached me to ask for that in my life randomly. What, just in public? No, <laughs> no, like mm. online, on Instagram okay. or, or Tinder back in the day, like so many times. And I will say I never engaged in it. I'm just going to put that out there before rumors start. But... It's so common. I feel like it's not as common um, anymore. And mm. I even don't see it come across much on like Reddit. But what is growing is tentacle fetish. Um, so there's a whole okay. new 
lines of sex toys that look like tentacles. <laughs> and I thought this would be more popular with men, but it's a woman thing. Because um, Slightly more so. Yeah. Oh, he doesn't really that's... have tentacles, does he? What was, was there a Disney character that we grew up with that had tentacles? Oh, I can't think of any, but I've always thought when, when uh, white women, well, mostly white women say they're into brown guys, I immediately oh. assume, oh, you loved Aladdin as a kid. <laughs> I just go. I just jump to that because I well, so I never funny. liked the Little Mermaid, but my sister watched it every single day. And then I've always had a liking for redheads, and I just link it to that. But it could I don't know. That's it could be something so else. Funny. But uh, I love. That. I just assume, it, yeah. If 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 a girl will, because there's actually quite a few now who will say, yeah, I like brown guys. I got there's curry fever, whatever they want to say, and yeah. It's either that they could just like it, but you know, being me, I gotta think of some deep psychological uh, reason for that proclivity. And <laughs> uh, it's either that they loved Aladdin as a kid, or that may have been the first very significant Disney film that they watched, or yeah. they had a crush on Zane when they were thirteen, fourteen. <laughs> yeah. It's so true. I also I just looked up. Tentacle porn, and I got blocked from the website. I mean, I didn't look up tentacle porn. I looked up the subreddit on it, but I can't. I have to log in. I SCBF. Anyway, it says why people that are into it, why? And someone said that in in um Japan they banned penises from porn, so you can't see penises. Um, they blur it. So that was their workaround was to use tentacles. Uh, I don't know if that's true. Obviously, I just literally just read this a second ago. And then other people that were saying they were into it said it was something about one person said, because I like weird and nasty shit, so I like it. Mm. And another person said the thought of being restrained and tickled in multiple parts of my body at the same time is what turns me on. So it is. That's very interesting. Yeah. yeah. I can see that. But like, what it, what that guy said, I like weird and nasty shit. It comes back to what I was saying at the start of this podcast, which is I'm assuming many of these fetishes are so attractive and desirable because they're inappropriate, yeah. because they're outside yeah. of the norm and they're taboo and they're naughty. Yeah. And yeah. I, I would suggest that it may be counterintuitive to constantly look to normalize all of these communities mm. and fetishes because then fewer people would be attracted to it. Yeah. All those statistics about casual sex or just number of sexual partners, which has drastically gone down in the West over time, despite the continued normalization of casual sex and casual partners and hookups and the technology to be able to facilitate that. My uh, guess is that as soon as something becomes normal and loses its taboo, it loses its edge, it loses its exciting and titillating and naughty features, which is what makes it so attractive, particularly to people who might be uh, more compelled to explore, you know, dangerous ideas or phenomena. And so don't necessarily need to normalise anything and everything as long as there's still the right for you to do that in the privacy of your own home. Uh, Let's keep tentacle porn on the internet. Let's not... (laughs) The next Netflix show, like we're inclusive to the tentacle porn community and our main character <laughs> has tentacles. <laughs> All right. <True>. Any <laughs> any any um any final thoughts on this one? Um, just that I hope that no one felt shamed during this podcast. Um, and that anything goes, as long as it's not harming yourself or others. I mean, well, you know what I mean. Maybe it is about that's like the whole BDSM thing. But you know what I mean. Uh, as long as everyone's consenting, there's no children or animals involved, have fun. Be safe. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Thanks for listening, <laughs> guys. Uh, make sure you subscribe to us on YouTube. Follow us on TikTok, on Instagram. Share the podcast and come see a live show. Uh, follow our personal accounts on Instagram and we will see you next week. See you next week.